Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 53, The Leap Back. You okay? Huh? You must leap with me. Oh, we did it, Sam. We... Sam, what the hell am I doing in this uniform? Because we switched places, in order to communicate with Gushy, I'd have to have the hand link. Because I'm the one... I'm the one in the imaging chamber. Imaging chamber? Oh, my God. I'm home. I knew bringing the two of you back together would put the kibosh on Suzanne, Mary, and Clifford. Ah, it doesn't matter now. Tom's back, and he's the guy she'll marry. Right, Suzanne? Aha, uh-huh, Al. I think that's why you're here. You're here to get Suzanne to sleep with you. Marry you. Marry me? Of course I'll marry you, darling. You know, if you weren't so weak from being a POW, I'd just like to... Yeah, you'd like to teach me a lesson, huh? Al. Well, I'll tell you something. I just had some of Kelly's breakfast. And I feel I could take on Mike Tyson. No, this is not the guy who married Beth. Who the hell is Mike Tyson? Never mind! No! Oh! What? I didn't know you knew how to do that. I didn't either. I'm getting my memory back, Al. All of it? Oh, my God. Why didn't you tell me? I couldn't. Donna! I've forgotten you. It wasn't your fault. What matters is that you remember me now. Of course I remember you. You're the woman I love. You're my wife. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Christopher D. Philippus. I'm Alison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today we will be talking about the season four opener, The Leap Back, or should I call it, I think maybe the biggest fan milestone in the series. Hey! I'd I'd say that's accurate, yeah. There's ruder words I'd use to describe it. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) <laughs> oh no, not not in a bad way. Um, in I, I I don't know if Quantum Leap fandom has this, but in Doctor Who fandom we have a thing called fan wank. 
Uh, Chris used the term fan wank in the last podcast, so I yeah, think it's... Yeah, okay, all right. It obviously goes outside Doctor Who fandom then. That's, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't know where I picked it up from, but it is in my vernacular, yes. and this is a complete <laughs> fan wank episode. Yep. A- aside from being, I think, a pretty good episode of Quantum Leap, mm-hmm. um, I was going to ask you, Matt, when you were researching Beyond the Mirror Image, did you ever come across anything like a series ranking, like episodes ranking for like fans favorites? You know, I never did. But it's yeah, I spent a lot of time on forums on places like Al's Place and um, and, and a few other um, some some old records. Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? News groups. Um, and yeah, I picked up that uh, this is clearly a fan favourite. And I think if there were rankings, this this would have to be the one that comes out the top or very near. It's just, it's the de facto really, isn't it? I have lots of notes. <laughs> I don't actually have notes. I've seen this one so many times. I watched this again a couple of weeks back. I did not take notes. I'm, I'm winging this one for once because I just, I, I feel like I know it well enough. Ooh, playing dangerously. We'll I see like how it. this goes. Oof. On the edge. <laughs> this is where halfway through the episode, Chris asks me an obscure question, and I say, uh... <laughs> I don't know. Halfway through, I was like halfway through the, the first sentence of the episode, and you couldn't answer my question. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> so, no, but just to pick up on the thought that you had, Matt, um, I would say that for fans, yeah, de facto, but even de facto for me as well, I was trying to think of an episode of Quantum Leap that I had seen more times than this one, and... There isn't one. I had this one on VHS, and I watched it over and over and over again. And I still hadn't seen it in a few years, but it came right back to me this morning when I was watching it, right down to the soundtrack, right down to the musical cues. I just, Mm -hmm. I I can close my eyes and see this episode play out. That's how much I've seen it. So it does stand out for me as a highlight of the series in just a quintessential Quantum Leap fandom way. Um, Why don't we go with initial impressions? What did you guys think, Allison, uh, initial impressions of The Leap Back? This is going to be a very interesting podcast because I love The Leap Back and I hate the leap back. <gasps> Sacrilege. <laughs> I'm of uh, two minds with this one. Um, but overall, uh, it is a great episode. I do really love it. And I think one of the reasons people in general love it is because Al gets to leap. It's some like the biggest thing that Al gets to do. And it's really great to see him get to, to do something really substantial here. Yeah, for sure. And of course, the obvious stuff with the, the project, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that oh you know, just that that aside, that quick aside. Oh yeah, the project. <laughs> so how about you, man? Well, I I gotta agree there. I mean it, it is kind of an aside. I don't think they spend enough time at the project, um, for all they build it up. But uh, sorry, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, I, I love this as well. I definitely think it has its flaws, and I don't think it's it's not normal quantum leap, so it it's definitely not the one to pull out and show to someone if you're introducing them to the show for the first time especially if you're yeah. going to fan wank <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm not pulling anything out to fan wank with but yeah of course i i love it and i think we're, we're probably all going to agree on on the same reasons why all right well i i really am intrigued allison let's start the discussion with you um I, i'd like to hear what you think are um you know some of the episode strengths but i also want to know part of why you hate it if you don't want to get into it all at once or let it flow throughout the conversation that's fine but i don't know that i've ever heard anything negative 
about this episode aside from the 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 Donna drama, as I like to call it, among the fans. You know, <laughs> what, what what did you find to be the strengths, and what did you find to be the weaknesses? That you hated. I mean, hate's a strong word. <laughs> well, uh, I have a lot of thoughts, and it'll it'll come up throughout this whole thing, really. But uh, in general, it is two episodes unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. I, I wish that it had been a two-parter, because yep. there are two seeds of great ideas, and both of them never really reach the potential that they could. So it's really disappointing in that regard. And uh, so there's a lot of stuff about it I wish hmm. that they had done differently. But at the same time, they do a lot of stuff that you wanted to see for a long time. People wanted to see the project. People wanted to see Al doing a leap. They wanted to see uh, the people at the project. So they do deliver on some of these aspects. So it's just a very, very mixed bag. Yeah, it, it, it feels like you read the review that I wrote in Beyond the Mirror Image. Uh, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure I said the exact same thing. It should have been a two-parter. It is, it's, yeah. it, it's one good solid leap episode plus a bunch of fan serving stuff crammed in and um yeah neither of them work as well as they could have done if they'd been given more time to breathe um it's it's fantastic to see all that stuff um just could have been more there's just not enough time spent on anything to really uh, be completely satisfactory for me yeah, you you think of this episode as the one where he he leaps back and you see the projects and everything, but that doesn't happen until what just over just past the halfway mark. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly at the halfway point. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's a strength of the episode, and I'll tell you why. To to have Sam trapped in the imaging chamber is a nice touch, and for them to try to have to figure mm-hmm. out, well, how am I going to get out of this? And it it takes Sam a while because he's going through a lot in these first two acts. Not only is he starting to remember his life, but he's got to contend with all of these weird thoughts that I guess Al's neurons and Masons are putting in his head. And, uh, you know, just the whole idea of the simul leap and being the, just the giddiness of being a hologram. And I, I like the fact that Sam is all over the place in these first two acts. It takes him quite a while before he remembers the twist at the end of Back to the Future 2. So we've had that envelope in our possession for the past 70 years. Did you say 70 years? Yeah, 70 years, two months, uh, 12 days to be exact. Here, sign on line six, please. Here you are. It's from the dock! We deliver a letter to Gushy on September the 18th, 1999. Who's gonna wait 54 years to deliver a letter? The post office and my dad's lawyer, Doc Krosnoff. We mail him a letter with $100 and instructions to have the code delivered to Gushy on September the 18th, 1999. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, it's totally back to the future. <laughs> he, I, after he's got his bearings, he's like, I'm going to steal an idea from a classic film. <laughs> the first half of the episode, I actually really love. Um, it's, it's around that second half where they start to lose me a bit. But I do really like the stuff where Sam and Al are both just very confused protagonists. They're just very confused people, and there's lots of great comedy bits going on, and um, and Sam enjoying being this really goofy, loose guy who's... <laughs> it's just a very different take for Sam, because he's taken on some of Al's characteristics, and Al's taken on some of his, and <laughs> yeah. um, they have some of the greatest comedy lines in the series, I think, in this, mm-hmm. um, when they're in the diner, or the... Uh, what are, was it a diner? It was like a luncheonette. Luncheonette, yeah, that's more of a... 
a more accurate term. But when they're in there and uh, Sam's saying all of these owl lines <laughs> and then horrified at himself for saying <laughs> yes. it. No, 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 no. They didn't have any artificial sweetener in 1945. Boy, did they have women with big costumes. Are you forgetting who slips you an extra pound of butter every now and then? I didn't know I was swapping sugar for it. Well, a pound of butter's all it takes. I got me a dairy farm that I... Stop that! Oh, my God, I am so sorry. That's a horrible thing to say. I don't know what came over me. What? Oh, my God, I am so sorry. And, he, like, they can't see or hear him, but he has to yeah. apologize. And, and Al's dropping the sugar, and, like, he's freaking out at what he's saying. Just great stuff. <laughs> It's nice to see Sam being a lech. And on the other hand, it's nice to see Al suffering from bouts of conscience because I know we've discussed this a lot on podcasts past where Al is just so completely off the hook that it's a good thing it's not him leaping. Otherwise, there would be a lot of stranded time children all around. And um, (laughs) the fact that they put him in a position here where he's having a moral dilemma as Sam would – to you know, because it worked both ways, I thought mm-hmm. that that was a nice touch. But I loved that they ultimately had Al come to the forefront. Take a hike, Mister Morals. Calavici's taken over. <laughs> there was a bit in the the script that really tickled me here. Okay, when they're in the luncheonette, and Al says, "I like running barefoot through sprinklers." In the script, they have in parentheses a Sam thought. Oh, really? I never understood that that was supposed to be a Sam thought. Apparently, that's just a very Sam thing, running barefoot through sprinklers. <laughs> it that never struck me. No, it doesn't come across at all. Like, why would it? Why? <laughs> right? Huh. No, that I never, I, I, like I said, I've seen this episode, I don't know, eight billion times. And it always struck me as pure Al right there yeah it's just a sweeter side of al sweeter side of al but also that that carefree happy-go-lucky al you know the the face that he usually tries to put out anyway Hmm. i love when he uh when he does the flying noodle kick (laughs) turns into a stunt double doing the noodle kick oh man so good yeah i don't know how that comes across on the blu-rays is it as obvious as some of the star trek stunt doubles or i'll tell you it's a pretty good stunt double actually Yeah. Like, the the only thing that really gives it away for me is the fact that it's Dean Stockwell doing this noodle kick. Like, yeah. So I'm like, okay, he can't do that. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> it looks like him from behind. It's not uh, not a terrible double. All right. Well, it's funny because it's it's not only the fish out of water and them acting like each other, but picking up those physical um, attributes where Al can suddenly do karate. Sam's holding, like, an invisible hand link at one point. You notice that? Like, Sam, uh, in the the luncheonette, like, he... Oh, he says, get ready to leap. He's holding an invisible hand link through different parts of it, as if he's going to to press the buttons. Oh, really? I only noticed it when he was doing, like, the the pantomime of it. Like, he was just aping Al. Like, Mm. okay, you're here, you're gonna marry, get ready to leap, and then all of a sudden Clifford He does it at least a couple times, yeah. Yeah. I'd have to watch again to see his body language. I guess because those scenes are so frenetic, especially in the diner or in the luncheonette. There's a lot going on. And if it's one thing that I have noticed upon repeat viewings of this one is they are cramming in as much dialogue as they possibly can, whether it be regular plot or just jokes or sides or ADR or no matter what, there is not, I think, a second of silence in this episode where it just breathes a little bit. And hmm. that does come across they, yeah, as, they do as kind of cram yeah, a little bit with a lot of stuff, yeah, a little bit jumbled. But I, for all that, I, I think it works. 
the stuff in the 40s uh, is a good comedy episode, I think. I think there's lots of funny dialogue and lots of funny physical gags. Mm. Like um, Al mm-hmm. bumping into the car door with his erection. That was a particularly good one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I would have said bumping into the cannon, but okay. But tell me, if you guys can... can um Sort of. I want to set the scene a little bit. This is what I usually try to do at the beginning of the episode, but I know we're so excited to talk about this one. But I have to say, when when I first saw this, it it was airing in real time, so it was the season finale of Shock Theater. And when Al bumps into that cannon, and then Sam walks through it, and you get the joint "Oh boy, oh boy," I was literally, you know, it was it was hell for me mm-hmm. because I I had to wait however many months until the premiere came on, and I was so jacked and so excited to see this and to see like it just as as you said before, Matt, fan wank fangasm. It was it was talking to all of the geekiest, greatest stuff that I loved about the show. And I'm wondering if in the course of your research, another obscure question, did the network or the showrunners pin a lot of um, hopes or expectations on this as a season opener that might get people on board? And I ask that for a specific reason. Um, A lot of that dialogue cramming that I was talking about, it seems to me like they go through great pains to reestablish the series premise between the dialogue of Sam and Al right in those first scenes when they're in the town square. Because, okay, it, it, it makes sense in the moment because Al doesn't really remember much of the project or the, the particulars of the project. But they give a neat summation of, hey, this is the premise of the show. Um, right within the first five minutes. And uh, I, I have to think that that was very deliberate in case they were getting new viewers. Was there a big push on this one that you remember or that you researched? Um, not that came up in the research, but I mean, obviously they're going to expect that for any kind of season opener. It makes sense. Um, we know uh, that Don had been talking about visiting the future for for some time previous and obviously somewhere along the line they decided yep this would be a really good solid season opener this is going to get the viewing in and um yeah they 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 knew they were going to get good viewing figures and with good viewing figures comes comes new viewers so yeah i i think you're right on the one hand um a lot of that dialogue cramming is probably to to reintroduce the concept some of the dialogue cramming i i think maybe to try and cover up some or, or to move things along so fast that you don't stop and ask too many questions um because th- mm. there's elements of the plot that really don't make any sense but um but, oh, and there's a huge th- huge plot hole i think in we might one. be thinking of the same no, one no, I'll, uh, I'll get to uh, but it but it moves so fast it, it's only when you watch it back the second time you think um well so yeah that's that's where i think that was that was coming from all right. And it just reminds me of what TV used to be, how it used to be. Just It's an artifact of the art form when it wasn't so readily available, when there wasn't streaming, when people couldn't see anything at any time. Um, you had people coming into a show as unbelievable as it sounds now, seeing the first episode four seasons in. And not having access to anything before that, so it, it was kind of a necessity. And I find it, I find it a little bit annoying, but also kind of funny. And now I look for it in a lot of shows, and you'd be surprised at how many shows do it. I mean, if you 
think about how many times on uh, Star Trek in the first six or seven episodes, maybe the first ten, Spock reiterates that he's Vulcan <laughs> and he can't feel, or I don't think like you, or I don't have emotions. or It's just like, yeah, we get it. Okay, Leonard, we get it. But, I mean, he had to. Uh, <gasps> tell him, Penny. <laughs> John ruining this again. And for the audience who's just tuning in, <laughs> Penelope's dog sometimes barks. <laughs> Ruins podcasts. <laughs> That's a job. She's really yeah. good at it. It's a good thing. She's adorable. So yeah, I think part of the the reason they're so repetitious about stuff in this episode too is because um, we're going to see this stuff. A lot of Quantum Leap sort of is very vague and doesn't get into a lot of this stuff outside of you have the opener telling you the basic premise. But we're actually going to see the project and the people and the the stuff that goes on there. So I think it helps having a little more context. You, you just, I, I never really thought of it that way, but this could be for the mundanes yeah. in the audience who have been watching this show because it's about the mm-hmm. 50s. And women's lib and uh, civil rights, and all of a sudden, they're taking this huge siphonal twist. And maybe this is not what the audience that they built is used to. I'm looking at it as a science fiction fan, not as a mainstream television viewer. Maybe they were afraid that this stuff would confuse and Mm. alienate some of the fan base, which I never even considered before this. How weird is that? We're so wrapped up in our fandom and our love of this episode. Think of what an outlier it is. It is really weird because uh, a lot of episodes do not go into the lore of the show, really. It's uh, using time travel as a means to an end. A lot of it is just very real Hmm. problems wrapped up in this. But this is a lot of sci-fi stuff going on. Uh, even some sort of body swap stuff going on with personality transfers and stuff like that. Um, it's a very complicated episode. There's a lot happening. Yeah. And there's some, um, not wishing to go too much out of order, but we know there's a lot of this kind of stuff coming up in season five. And they they don't always spend that much time explaining it so i think the kind of perspective that chris is coming from just seeing this as a science fiction episode and hey that's not a problem um part of it's because pretty much one fifth of the entire series does just embrace that and um in this part of the show's run it is more more the historical drama yeah i never really considered that but i guess when you think of the evolution Mm -hmm. of the show as as you know, fandom, it builds and then it wanes. I guess that maybe they thought in season five they could go yeah. for broke with some of the more esoteric ideas because they figured anyone <laughs> who's still watching is yeah. a true fan, they're going to get it. And we might never have a chance to tell weird stories like these again. So mm-hmm. what the hell? Well, I, I think too, starting with this and definitely in the fifth season, They were just trying to change things up a little bit, and I think maybe they were trying to embrace the more sci-fi side of it to maybe perhaps uh, entice more people that were into more of that sort of thing. Yeah, I guess, but kind of like you've criticized the show for, Allison, if I have one... It's not really a pet peeve. It's not even something that gives me pause, but it's just, it's, on the face of it, it's ridiculous that Sam and Al could somehow switch places. It's, uh, what's the physics of that? <laughs> Lightning can do anything. Have, haven't you ever seen weird science? <laughs> <laughs> Lightning is magic. Lightning's magic. 
<laughs> you know, it's funny that uh, we have um, lightning and you guys were making fun of me before about the, or making fun of the show about taking the Back to the Future twist. I want to readdress that, but... No, I liked that. Honestly, I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I don't think that they stole that from Back to the Future. A mail drop is, is a somewhat common kind of contrivance in time travel stories. Oh, yeah, um, sure. It, it's yeah, just yeah. that it was... So within a couple of years of this, um, this episode being written, and it was quite a, a major movie, so... It it always springs to mind when I'm watching this one. I'm wondering though if like they thought that they could affect the same result using uh, Last Dance before an execution, because you had electricity there, which is the same as you had in Shock Theater. I wonder if they. I, I it just seemed to me a preponderance of electrical shock at the tail end of season three. That sort of led up to this. and I, Maybe it was like, it was a weird combo of like, there was a lightning strike in both places at once. <laughs> you think? Or uh, or because they jacked up the signal so much to keep Al there, like there was some sort of weird situation that that, that would make the lightning strike affect him. So, but, okay, but see, I always thought that it wasn't lightning at all or, you know, ground zero in an atomic blast. I thought it had something to do with the electric shock therapy. Are you saying that you think that... Not only was it the electric shock that they were giving Sam when they simul-leaped, but that there was some kind of strike of lightning outside, a la the clock tower. Oh, well, they said it was lightning. lightning, Because they even say it in this episode. No, they say, I think it was lightning, but they're both completely Swiss cheese. They don't remember where they've just come from. And I've always... Well, you see a lightning bolt coming from the window. Yeah, watch. (laughs) No, I don't don't remember seeing a lightning bolt coming from the window. The lightning bolt strikes both of them. You can actually see it at the end of Shock Theater. You see the lightning bolt coming through the window, and it surrounds Sam and Al. No, I've always... You see the lightning go through Al. Like, it's not just the the shock. No, no, yeah, but... Besides that, it's not like when you... Wait, 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 wait. When you do shock treatment, it's not like it's like lightning bolts coming through it like Emperor Palpatine. (laughs) Oh, it should be. (laughs) I honestly thought that they were confused thinking it was lightning because the shock treatment was so high and it happened the second why would the shock th- treatment th- be just more plausible me, just i'm not saying it's plausible in any way i'm just saying in chris's <laughs> headcanon it was always the shock treatment because it was the second that they gave sam the shocker give jimmy shocker and his his back arcs and his head moves back and that's when the leap effect starts and it encompasses al as well and I guess I was so busy looking at Sam and looking at Al and sort of the, the logistics and the mechanics of the shock treatment that I never really thought about is there lightning coming in from the window. I've never in my gazillion years of watching that episode, and I have it on VHS, have ever noticed lightning actually striking them. I always thought, and at the beginning of this, that they were just confused and it was really somehow the shock treatment that that did it. Lightning does come in, but... The window does mir- remain miraculously untouched. It, it somehow comes through the window. Lightning is magic. Shattering it. Yeah, <laughs> everything's magic. But it does It does come in. Yeah, I can show you a screen cap of quite clearly. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you can. And lightning striking them. The, uh... <laughs> you, you know what I noticed, too? Starting with this season, uh, they started doing the effects on tape. Mm-hmm. So there's a real quality difference. Wow, yeah. Especially on the uh the HD versions because yeah. they they did this really crappy uh transfer where it's all interlaced, so it's got all these lines running through it. Uh they look particularly bad. But I think even if 
I didn't know that. Like, I, when I was watching this on the Universal DVDs, the quality was about the same for all of it. Uh, the effects are a little bit janky in parts. Mm-hmm. Oh, very much Sam so. Sam walking through that cannon, especially around oh, his hair. Yeah. Uh, it's not very clean. Not the cleanest blue screen they ever had. No, and when he's walking through the milk truck, you can see that it is so yeah. composited. It's, it's just ridiculous because everything takes on an almost gray quality because the layers are so thick. Um, but yeah, it, it doesn't look nice. But at the same time, <laughs> I thought that it, they did some of their best effects work in here when, when Sam was just having fun sticking his head in the tree and when he came through the door and said, hello, baby. And, hello, hello, baby. <laughs> Don't do that. Revenge is mine, thus saith the hologram. I really enjoyed those bits of him as a hologram, and it didn't seem like it was too... You know, too obvious. Of course, you can tell it's an effect, but it wasn't as bad as some of the others. Like, some of them were really screamingly bad. You're right. But I, I thought that the other ones were okay. And for a show that has been getting it more progressively right when it comes to the effects, for them to take this step back in quality, I always I always wondered why. And I guess you just explained it, Allison. So they, they went from doing these effects on film to cutting the cost by doing the effects mm-hmm. on video. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. A lot of shows around this time did that, which is why you have a lot of complications with Blu-ray releases for things that are effects heavy. And a lot of them will do workarounds like this, you know, like it's on film except for the stuff with the effects, which is why you get the quality drop when it cuts to them. Okay. And it's particularly uh, jarring when it's on an HD copy, just the the difference. Mm -hmm. Right. To go back to... uh, you mentioning Sam being all like putting his head through the tree and acting all goofy and a hello, baby. <laughs> um, I really do love this this version of Sam, but also it is such a mood whiplash <laughs> coming from coming from shock theater. Al spends that whole damn episode taking care of him, just going out on a limb for him. Like he's he's distraught, completely distraught. And then switch places, and Sam's like, now it's my turn to disappear into the powder room. (laughs) Take that, Al. (laughs) It's a a product of the time... this this was just to go back to what Chris was saying earlier. You know, this is people weren't rewatching these things over the summer break. There were several months for this mood whiplash for most people. There was a week for me. For you, it was back to back. But you see, you see the lead up to this. In the episode, you see them in the shock treatment room, and Al clutching the hand link, and the, oh no, and then, and then, oh, what's going on, Al? <laughs> uh, you know, I think you can forgive the series that. I think that you see that more often than not. I mean, what is the leap out after Goodnight, Dear Heart? I don't remember, but sure. I mean, he's he's kneeling by a grave, and then they go into what's the leap out from Black on White on Fire? Oh, sure. You, you know, sure. oh, yeah. they definitely have really weird, like jarring leap outs on this show. But I mean, but like, that's, but that's also, I think, why they built in the Swiss cheese factor, so they didn't have to carry that emotion with him from yeah. one leap to the other. It could basically start sure. fresh. So we're just seeing. I think we're just seeing that here. As a viewer, this happens a lot, and especially like between seasons. They even did it like between season two and three. MIA going into the leap home. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The fact that both stories are about trying to change uh, something with their loved ones in the past, and Sam takes a completely different tack to it compared to what he did with Al's story. And when you watch him back to back, you're like, oh, well, that's different. Yeah, mm. but like it's 
not quite as jarring, but. Yeah, I guess in, in some cases you do see them when they try to do um, similar themes in episodes back to back, they don't always get it particularly right. And <laughs> that is one of the most glaring examples in the series where, you know, and even Hal says it, why? It's okay for you to do it because it's your family, because it affects you. Yeah. Mm. And um, I always found that to be one of the, um, one of the deeper parts of Leap Home. And let me just ask, I mean, do you think Don was kicking himself for using the title, The Leap Home, and then having <laughs> written this one saying, oh, shit, I use that title? <laughs> Should have just called it like, eh, Sam goes back, you're waiting for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Here you go, fans. I wanted to to bring up, too, we were talking about the whole Back to the Future thing. The the villain in this, Clifford? Oh, God. Such a Biff Tanner. <laughs> Suzanne Elsinger, what are you doing? It's you and me, Louise! It's meant to be! Someday you'll be my wife! Oh, boy, gosh! Oh, boy, gosh! (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget, he boxed at Princeton. Oh, actually, Yale. (laughs) He is such a cartoonish villain. I kind of love it, though. It's a completely different world. Um, If we're going to be talking about jarring, it is very jarring going back and forth from the 40s stuff to the 1999 stuff. I, I don't know if it meshes that well, to be honest. Does it Does it have to? Well, that could be a fun juxtaposition, but I don't know if they really capitalize on that very much. Well, I mean, so in what way did they need to capitalize on, on the two settings, aside from the fact that one is one reality and one is the other reality? I don't know. Just sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you have um, things that are that don't go together at all, but it works in a really good way. Like um, there was an episode of uh, the new Doctor Who where there the girl in the fireplace, where they have mm-hmm. the the period setting in France, and then they have on the spaceship, and there's all of these pieces of period France on the spaceship, and it's such a strange combination, but it works so well. Yeah. Um, but here it just feels like you have two different stories mashed together that, that should have been two different stories. Hmm. All right. And I, again, I guess I was so enraptured by the fact that we're finally seeing more of the project (laughs) that I I, I gave it a pass. I still, to this day, give it a pass. I think that, I I don't know that this needed to be two episodes. Why don't we expand on that, Allison? I know that, that, is that your chief gripe about the episode is, is just the cramming and the fact that you wish it had been more? Um, yes, it needed to have more, but also, uh, I will get into the stuff in the project when we get into that, because there's a, a lot there, but if we're just going with Al's story, Al does not complete his story. What does mm. he accomplish in the 40s? He he dinks around for a bit, <laughs> and then he gets knocked out, and then Sam finishes it for him. Yeah. Uh, even as a story, uh, like a parallel to his story, I, I do like that they go into the parts with Beth and being a POW, um, but it's all very surface level and it doesn't really seem emotionally satisfying. I never really considered that because at that point I'm so caught up in, number one, the fan aspect of this where they're doing more leaps and different leaps. And number two, this is where my hugest problem with the episode rears its ugly head, um, that I never considered the fact that Al needed some kind of uh, through line that we needed to put a bow on his story. I thought that his story was perfunctory to Sam's story. 
kind of like it always is. And I never saw that as a jip, but maybe because I'm always looking at it from Sam's point of view. That's an interesting wrinkle to bring up. Well, it's called Quantum Leap, and that is the leap. Yeah. Um, And there's a lot of things that don't make sense about, you know, when he's there, okay, if we're going to say we're just focusing on Sam and not Al, what is Sam doing at the project to forward this? Why does the project take so long to get info on Al when Sam can tell them who he is, where he is, they know when he is? Um, Why doesn't Sam talk to Tom in the waiting room to figure anything out? We Mm -hmm. never see that. Because um, story. He just seems to be kind of <laughs> sitting around, too. Not just sitting around, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I think that this also could have been season four. We all get laid! So, <laughs> so there, there was a lot of that going on. Um, I think it's, it's forgivable that Sam is maybe a little bit scattered when he gets back to the project and not 100% focused on how they might get Al out of this. I mean... Remember, I don't think that they knew that his situation was going to be fatal until after they, you know, they had the 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 the, 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 the post-coital stargazing is when they really ramped up those stakes. So uh, you're very forgiving. I can't believe you said post-coital stargazing exactly as I wrote in my notes. <laughs> you did not. <laughs> The same phrasing. Oh, Allison, are we star-crossed like Sam and Donna? (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) I I, See, I guess maybe that's why it it never really... I I didn't see Sam as dropping the ball because he didn't know that it was going to turn deadly any more than anybody else. Yeah, but we don't see him doing anything. Yeah. That's the problem for me. It's not the fact that he's not concerned because he is a little bit concerned about Al, even though he doesn't know that it's fatal. But. <sighs> and there's a whole team there. Yeah, there's a whole team. No one's not, doing it. Not any- all of them are banging Donna. <laughs> <laughs> Some of know? them have got other things they could be getting on with. All right. Can we. Uh, you want to go on a little tangent here? I, I, I got the whole team. There's a whole team there. Okay, so we're introduced to Gushy, reintroduced to Gushy, really. Mm-hmm. It's the second time we've seen him. Uh, we get to see Tina, uh, Gigi Rice, mm-hmm. doing like the most awful, I don't know why they directed her that way, but that's all right. I guess that's where they wanted to go. It was to give all the novelists something to apologize for years later. Or <laughs> play with. I mean, I, I sort of played with yeah, them. Yeah, I know. Bit, Everyone but, did. Yeah. <laughs> But Candy Ann Brown, this is the second time she gets, like, billing, guest star billing at the front <laughs> oh, of the show. Bless her. And the second time where she does not have one word of dialogue. Aww. She doesn't even have anything to do non-dialogue either. She takes Sam's pulse. All she, yeah, she checks <laughs> Sam's pulse for no reason. What is she doing? But it Why? leads me to wonder, what, what have they cut out of this episode and what did they cut out of Shock Theater? Where she does get billing as like one of the main guest stars and yet has less dialogue than any guest star ever. They didn't cut very much out at all. We, I mean, we talked in Shock Theatre about the, the extended version of that scene where she did get to speak to Sam and Al and uh, they were talking about hypnotizing him and turning him into Jimmy. And then, yeah, if I remember rightly in, in The Leap Back... She's, again, just in that one scene that you see her in the episode, but she has a couple of lines extra. I think all it is is, like, Sam does some, like, Groucho Marx impressions. Yes, and then she's it. just yeah. like, you're kind of like Al. <laughs> like, yeah. it really was nothing. Wow. There's no yeah. reason for Verbena to be there. No. That's something else. And certainly not top billing. 
I, I did. I did have um, a, a point to all of this. So we got to know Donna. We got to see Verbena again. We got to see Gushy again. We got to know Tina. Who is the dude in the weird red jacket? <laughs> He's the guy who holds the guitar in the background. <laughs> you know that guy. <laughs> and did you also notice that when they were um, leaping Sam again at the end of the episode, that for whatever reason, the, the lightning energy coming out of Ziggy was going right to that guy's crotch? Yeah. yeah. No, it was the guitar he was holding. <laughs> That's what it was. That's not the guitar. That's the synchrotron. <laughs> nice. Synchrotron online. Stand by to Seven. fire. Fire! Six. Fire! Four. That's the synchrotron that's going online. <laughs> I think in the the Quantum Leap book, the one that's called the Quantum Leap book, yeah, yeah. Um, they have like uh, illustrations and stuff. They have that in there, and I saw that, and I'm like, what the hell is this keytar thing? And they called it like a magna link or something and i never noticed until years and years later that he was holding that and i still have no idea what it is i really have to start watching these things in hd because <laughs> i could not figure oh, out Oh, it's still a shitty effect <laughs> shot so it's still mm, super vhs looking still tough to make out <laughs> huh but i mean i, I really i it, i would say that's the the one thing i noticed new in this episode is who is this guy who's and anyone why is he just standing around <laughs> There's a bunch of people I don't understand. Well, there was like, I think there was like a, a, a yeoman or an ensign or something. I get them having like maybe some military staff hanging around as just escorts or security. There's, or... Al- there's also like a, a black lady in a yellow dress in the background. I don't know who she is, what role she serves. I didn't notice her. She's standing behind uh, Tina, I think. I'm like, I don't know who that is. I don't know what's happening. Tina. Tina's intern. Tina, you wouldn't even really know what role she's supposed to serve, uh, except I've read the novels and they gave her sort of a job there. And I think like later on, they they give her a a, uh, position, like they talk about it like at the end of this season, but I think that's a weird other time thing. So I don't even know if that's reality. But what is Tina's job? I think I made her in my book. I think I made Gushy the programmer. So she was more the hardware. She would get into the guts of the machine and actually yeah. make it work on a physical level. Yeah, like in the in the books, they made her a genius. Yeah, and I mean, you, you sort of have to because what are you going to do with the screaming? That's the worst character in Quantum Leap since. Wah, wah, I'm a klutz. What? So- I love <laughs> Tina. She's the the chief of system design. That's you according to up? random. Yeah, of course. That's according to random measures. Okay. Chief of system design. Okay, so but that all comes in after the fact, so none of that's really canon. That's all novel and yeah, stuff. Um, no, and in then, the uh, in yeah, you could have mentioned the pulse communication technician. Yeah, they said that at the end of season four, they call her that. Yeah, yeah. In the show, the hell does that mean? Whatever a pulse communications. <laughs> but like, I love Tina because. They give her all sorts of very strange character traits that, like, over the course of the series, like, early on, like, Al says she has a crocodile. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think an early script gave her, like, a fake eye or something. Like, <laughs> all these very strange things about her. She's a complete ditz. Yeah. But a child genius at the same time. And also having an affair with Gushy? That's never brought up after that, huh? No, I think that... Don't they allude to it again in season five at some at some point? Actually, I think they say they're married later. Yeah, it did, it did come up again, I think just as an aside, a comedic aside. Yeah. And I kind of like that, especially since now that you have faces to go with these names. 
But I mean, Gigi Rice is she's she's fine. But what what they give her is just it doesn't make Tina like. Why would Al be attracted to someone that's like that? What What are you talking about? Al's attracted to anything with legs. What do you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't what do you know. mean? Why wouldn't he be attracted to that? She's like a twenty six year old bombshell in a silver jacket on a relationship level uh, with a boob window. <laughs> she was dressed like a superhero, wasn't she? Yeah, a little bit. Ridiculous outfit. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to say, too, um, as much as I uh, dig into the project stuff here, uh, I do love this aesthetic. I love the kooky rainbow Legos, the big blocky <laughs> yeah. control panel. It's the giant handling. Yeah. Basically. It, love Ziggy's it. a sparkly ball on the ceiling. Everyone's got LED clothes, crazy cutouts. It's like a constant rave going on. And it sounds like they're inside a whale. I hate I love that. No, I hate the background music. <laughs> no. I hate it. I love it. Oh, it's like Vangelis. Oh, it's the greatest. It distracts me so much. That's probably like 50% of why I really can't get into this. <laughs> no. I think that, that that's a perfect little touch. And maybe there's a little personal connection I have with that because I used to fly back and forth to Missouri a lot. And I was a huge Quantum Leap fan at that point. Um, Leap Back had already aired. And I would go through O'Hare quite frequently. And there's this weird underground tunnel in O'Hare where they play <laughs> a lot of like Vangelis sounding music. And there are a lot of like neon lights as you're going on this Aww. people movie. And I always thought of it as like the quantum leap room, you know, so <laughs> I have nothing but fond, fond, fond affiliations with all that weird music and the weird aesthetic and the colors. I love everything about oh, that. I love that stuff. I ju just the, the background noise. Um, I, it's not pleasant to my ears. <laughs> <laughs> you obviously don't spend a lot of time with whales. <laughs> I wanted to point out, too, that the stuff at the project it feels so claustrophobic to me. And a lot of this is just limited by budget. It's a very small view of it. It's obvious they've only got three sets. They got the control room, which is you can only see from one side. You got the hallway that they pretend, pretend is every hallway. Mm -hmm. uh, and you got the blue screen, <laughs> which is the waiting room. <laughs> uh, I want to see more of it. It seems so expansive. It is a giant blue glowing mountain that is somehow also top secret <laughs> also how much radiation are we talking here why is it glowing is this chernobyl what is happening and where does their house uh, sit on this compound very far away because they're obviously you know the donna has this enormous mid-century modern ranch to herself <laughs> because it looks like one story that goes on for about seven thousand feet yeah and you know, it's open to the sky, so mm. it's 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 obviously above ground. It's not part of the project per se, although it's project adjacent. Mm. I'm trying to figure out the logistics of all that, because like you said, Allison, if it's top secret and you can literally <laughs> see a mountain glowing in the distance, where is that where is that perimeter fence? <laughs> it has to be beyond the horizon. It has to be beyond the curvature of the earth. I mean, is, is New Mexico even that big? <laughs> No wonder the Tina from the pilot noticed, like, there's some top secret project there. They're like, oh, how'd she notice? Well, how could you not? Do we know that that's uh, Tina specifically? She's the other Tina, because in the credits, she's called Tina. Oh, she is. Okay. So, I mean, so she's like the other Donna. But it cl it's clearly not the same Tina. Well, it's clearly not the same Donna. So. <laughs> now, what did you guys think of, of Mimi Cusick as Donna? 
There is a lot of fan hatred out there for Mimi for, I don't know, for whatever reason, but I've always encountered nothing but derision for Donna 2. I don't get it. I don't either. I do not get it. And I, I think, okay, for me, I started watching the show with the repeat of the pilot that led into season two. So I didn't see season one until after I'd seen every other episode. So that was Donna to me. And and then when I saw Terry Hatcher, I was like, oh, that she's not right. So, yeah, I, I can sympathise with the fans who attach themselves to, to one actress and then can't get the other one. But I, I had it reversed. I don't know if I, I had it reversed, but I was in a similar situation because I came to the show, I think, sometime in season three, early season three, or maybe I think we discussed this already. But anyway, I had never seen Starcrossed. And by the time this aired, there was no chance of me seeing Starcrossed. So I had no picture of who Donna was. I didn't really get the symbolism of Starcrossed, her looking up at the sky and, you know, they're, they're still in love. <laughs> oh, is that they, what they were doing? <laughs> you think? I mean, again, post-coital stargazing. <laughs> what else could it be? <laughs> I did not get that they were doing a parallel to Starcrossed there, honestly and truly. I was Baffled. I mean, it's 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 not a parallel. It's like a, it's like bonk bonk on the head. <laughs> um, he, here's what I'll have to say about um, this version of Donna. Um, it doesn't have to do with me being attached to a particular actress. I just think that this lady is bad. <laughs> um, this could be. I, I I should be fair to her. Um. It could be the direction she was given or the lines, because I feel she was given some terrible material. I really don't like Donna, I, and I liked her in Starcrossed, and I didn't like her here, and it, it all has to do with the story for me. I mean, I, the acting I really did not like, but if the story had been good, uh, I wouldn't be as hard on it. Um, it's When you see Donna in Starcrossed, you learn about her and Sam's relationship and why it is important to him and who she is as a person. And when you see her in uh, The Leap Back, you don't know who she is as an adult, as a person, as anything other than an attachment to Sam. And Deborah Pratt even said as much that the reason that they put Donna in here was to make Sam feel bad. And that's not a good reason to put a character in. <laughs> wow, she really yeah. said that, huh? Um, she has this... The, the worst line in the episode to me is when she and Sam are in post-coital stargazing. And, uh, and he <laughs> says, you have great eyes. She says, are you talking about the way they look or my vision? <laughs> oh, Alison, you're ruining terrible. this for me. It was terrible. I, I like that scene. It was terrible. She's not wrong. I don't. I. I really. I can't get behind it. I just Aww. can't. She's just there, like the woman waiting by the cliffs by the sea for the guy to come back. I. I just don't. <laughs> I can't get with behind her as a character. And no. there's this huge elephant in the room with the Donna Sam story that is never acknowledged, and it always rubbed me the wrong way. And that Sam changed history so that they got married and then left her behind and never saw her again. Uh, like, this is never acknowledged that Sam's a complete asshole for doing that, even unintentionally. This is another reason they needed more time, because there's a lot of things that just aren't acknowledged. Like, does she know about Sam's leap into the college when she was uh, when she was there, yeah. like does, he, does she know that he manipulated her life like that? 
Good question. And they they use Donna in the story. Like she says she never felt that there was a time that he betrayed their love. And I'm glad that they did acknowledge that, but it's just it's a <laughs> it's a bad story. It's a bad story to have like the his his wife show up out of nowhere and be like, Oh, it's fine. I told uh I told Al never to tell you about me so that you wouldn't feel guilty about getting with the ladies all the time. And then Every time that you watch an episode where he gets together with someone, you know that he's got Donna waiting at home, and it's just a really unpleasant feeling. Yeah. I just think it was a terrible way to go about having him have a wife, a lover, whatever. Like, I just, I I wish it hadn't been written this way. Hmm. And they kind of skim over a lot of it. Like, she acts very ho-hum about a lot of big things going on in this episode, and we never see them interacting as a couple outside of makeout and the the terrible line about the vision or whatever like i just don't know if i buy the chemistry or or feel who they are as a couple hmm. now did you did you come to that conclusion right away when you first saw it or were you so wrapped up in the emotion and the immediacy of it that it wasn't until later that a lot of these these um problems became apparent to you no, that's what I thought when I saw it. I, I, I just, like, um, it doesn't hold the weight for me. The performance, I don't think, holds up to um, some of the uh, the material there when it is supposed to be more emotional. It doesn't have enough time to develop. Uh, I don't really get a sense of who Donna is other than someone to make Sam sad. And you see this in a lot of media, like the obligatory romance because guy and girl are together, it, it means something. And I, I just got to feel more there. And I feel like there's other relationships on the show that Sam had just as a one-off that I bought way more <laughs> than what was going on here. So hmm. it, it wasn't even just the time spent on it, though there was half of an episode spent on it. Um, but the fact it just wasn't built up very well for me. And did you find there was just a lack of chemistry between Mimi and Scott? Yes. I, d- I, d- I didn't buy the chemistry. <laughs> I thought Terry Hatcher was better at it, but it could have been if she was in the episode. Um, like they, they did uh, want her to be there, but there was like scheduling conflicts. I believe that's what happened. Um, yeah, I think that's what mm. I read too. Even if she had yeah. been there. Uh, the story, I just don't think, would service the character very well. And there's still a lot of dialogue I don't really like in it. So it could be, it, I would feel the same way, even if it was her. Okay. And I I wonder if it's that lack of chemistry. And I kind of started the show talking about sort of the rift in fandom with the Donna versus Donna. And just some of the hatred that a lot of the fans have for this this version of Donna. And... I'm also wondering, is it because she's just not good enough for their precious, precious Sam? <laughs> Could it just be like the fangirl jealousy contingent? And I know I might be alienating some listeners, and I'm sorry, I'm just putting that out as a supposition. I'm not branding you, specifically you listening, who just got offended by that. I'm just, I'm, I'm throwing it out there as an idea. Um, Do you think that might have something to do with it? There might be, but also, like, if you add something like that to a character as part of their canon and then continue forward even if you're super into this relationship sam is gonna be with a new girl every week 
I just feel it's very cruel and doesn't have enough mm. of a payoff, even in a tragic sense, to be like, okay, yeah. this is a really good story. Talking stores need not apply. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Donna. Twinkle, twinkle. <laughs> twinkle, twinkle, little Sam. <laughs> Even when they're in postcoital stargazing, he's thinking about Al. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He is, but that's a bromance. Well, I'm looking at the stars because it was born when Al's at like, the year that he's at. Oh, I wish he was here right now. Come on. There's probably fanfic about that as well. <laughs> they're sitting there and he's like, yeah, that little sparkle was created in the 40s. And that's when where <laughs> Al is. <laughs> I love you, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too, Al. <laughs> because he's got Al in him at the time, does Donna have sex with both of them? Like, what is happening? I don't know. Does uh, Suzanne Helsinger have sex with both Sam, Al, and Tom? Is that a threesome? Yeah, I'm, this I'm, is, oh, there's I'm too confused. many, too many men all in one person. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many cooks in this kitchen. <laughs> but it's funny that you say that you wanted to see more between Sam and Donna, because I always saw that as just um, plot complication B to ramp up the, the, the final act. And I never really cared to explore it more. And maybe that's why I never felt like this needed a second episode to breathe. But that's why it needs it. Shouldn't you care more about such an important character? You would think that, but they're showing me a giant Lego control panel, and I can barely control myself. Okay. Oh, yeah, and there's Donna, too. Now let's get back to the neato stuff. Yeah, but that's that's what I'm saying. It's all just pushed to the side. <laughs> and I, for one, didn't care. Yeah, but you're supposed to. That's why there should be more time for this, because it's just an afterthought. Yeah. We get a lot of great stuff about, like details about the project that I think is really interesting. They got these weird wrist links mm. in this one for some reason and only in this yeah, one. Yeah, which you never see again. That's the Star Trek the motion picture version of the hand link, which again never shows up in, in any kind of iteration of Star Trek either. So, But why doesn't Al just always have that? Because it clashes with the Jean-Pierre Dorliac fashions that he wears. <laughs> I don't know. I, oh man, the whole, all the future fashions. Even Sam's got his, like, future outfit going on, slightly more subdued. Yeah. I still yeah. don't really yeah. understand Quantum Leap's time period <laughs> at all, but... <laughs> Sam explains, too, that uh, the reason that he gave Ziggy an ego is because it separated her from just any other number cruncher. Yeah, and it's still him, by the way, it's still in the him. dialogue, yes. even though Ziggy is obviously Deborah. Right, this is when they shift into the, the, the female pronouns, right? No, they don't. She doesn't become a female pronoun until the end of season four. <laughs> First of all, I want to mention about the, uh, the Ziggy ego thing in the number cruncher. It's interesting that Sam made Ziggy more human, I guess, to make more human decisions. Um, but also... Quantum Leap has such an interesting relationship with gender. It really does. And especially for a show from the late 80s, early 90s. Like, that's really progressive for the time. And not just the fact that Sam leaps into uh, women and, and other things like that. But um, Ziggy, having uh, male pronouns and then having a female voice and then shifting to female pronouns and never really having this be acknowledged or anything. But the fact that this... 
this entity is called uh, is referred to by he at this point, mm-hmm. but they still have Sam flirting with Ziggy, which is a whole <laughs> other weird thing because it's a computer. <laughs> and then there's also yeah. the incestual relationship. Ziggy, yes, Doctor. Give me what I want, baby. Ooh, if you weren't my father. Going if like, you, if you weren't, weren't my, my father. father. It's all very weird and fluid, and, and no one ever has any of these reactions. Like this is kind of strange. <laughs> it just is a thing. <laughs> it's the future. Everyone sleeps with everyone else. <laughs> and Sam does machines. Yeah, he's a robosexual. That's okay. <laughs> and did you notice the other nod to Back to the Future when Ziggy said that she has, like, was it 10.10 10 trillion gigawatts of uh, memory <laughs> instead <Yes>. of gigawatts? <laughs> The hell is a gigawatt? With a million gigabyte capacity, I'm quite capable of rubbing my tummy, patting my head, and doing a trillion floating point operations at once. To generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. 1.21 gigawatts! Because they didn't know how to pronounce it on Back to the Future, they mispronounced it on this. I always wondered if that was intentional. No idea. (laughs) That was really funny, though. I do like Ziggy's dialogue. I like how sassy Ziggy is. Like, don't read Shakespeare. Oh, I just finished. I see your point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, again, it, 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 one of the things that I, I guess giving Ziggy that personality and letting Deborah have some fun with it, it's fine. But it, I'm not crazy about the direction they went with for Ziggy in this. I don't know why. It doesn't seem out of character, though. Ziggy would always do sort of things like have temper tantrums or, you know, Mm, things that were not characteristic to a computer that would make things difficult for a leap. But why would you have to be, like, creepy and incestuous? (laughs) Yeah, that part I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea about that. Uh, I also have no idea how they gave her an ego. It just, uh, like, goes into more stuff with the novels. Yeah. Yeah, and again, that's all fun stuff for us fans to play with. But (laughs) when you think about it in terms of the series, that basically became a almost a one and done with Ziggy. So so why not have fun with it? Why did I give him Barbara Streisand's ego? There, there was there was another uh I'm I'm jumping all over the place again, but um I just have a lot of things written down, a lot of things to say. Go for it's it. It's okay. It's okay. It's kind of refreshing because a lot of us just see this episode and go squee. <laughs> so it, that would get kind of boring after about 35 minutes. So it, it's nice to to take a deeper dive into some of the some of the more glaring errors with this episode. I mean, there are, there is a lot of stuff to love in it. Like I said, I I really do oh, love course. the stuff in the 40s for the most part. There are parts of the future stuff that I really enjoy. I, I like that aesthetic a lot. I loved the shot of uh, Sam when he first comes into the uh, imaging chamber, and you see Al disappearing. You see the hologram of the the past yeah. disappearing and them just that last look at each other before Sam is, yeah. you know, leaving him behind for the future. Uh, that was great. Yeah, I love that. Um, there, there was another element that bothered me about it, though, about this uh, future stuff. Sam talks about once he goes to the future, he talks about forgetting the past. He says that it's like uh, the pa- the past four years are becoming a blur, fading like a bad dream. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, undoes a lot of character development. That's like saying, mm-hmm. like, if he ever came back, it would be as if he never did any of the things that he did, or he never learned from any of them or grew from any of them. 
Yeah. And I, I kind of love that because it ties into one of my favorite things about mirror image. So, I mean, I don't know how far we want to explore that, but it's another wrinkle that I noticed that was kind of new on this rewatch that I hadn't really thought about before. But that just, that just is another unpleasant thought to me, though. What? The fact that if he ever went back home, he would forget everything that he did. Dead miners save men's lives and no one remembers. That's the way it is. <laughs> that's you know, crummy. Sometimes that's the way it it's is. Crummy. It's crummy. I'm not saying it's not crummy. It's just the way it is. Why do new memories seem painful for him? Like physically painful. Yes. Why is he like, ah, like it's being zapped into his brain? Doubles up in pain. Because that's the way they told him to, to act. It <laughs> <That> was strange. <laughs> that was very weird to yeah, me. I really thought that he was in some kind of physical distress too. Yeah. But I, I, maybe they just wanted to, to to hit home, you know? I guess they figure it's TV. We have to spoon feed the audience. There's a hell of a lot of spoon feeding going on here with, with the, just the exaggerated character, the exaggerated dialogue, the over-explaining of a lot of things. I mean, when Sam runs into Donna's arms, he says, of course I know who you are. You're Donna. You're the woman I love. <laughs> my wife. And that's shitty dialogue. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't we just go to my wife? <laughs> that's crummy dialogue. You know? That's what I'm talking about. It's it's It throws me off. It could be like, I buy so many other relationships on this show from one episode more than the Donna relationship. And everything in the future is weird to me like that. It's this stilted, strange dialogue that's all st- and a lot of it's 80 yard and kind of dreamlike sounding. It's very weird. <laughs> All right. I'm very passionate Again. about this. <laughs> All very fair criticisms. But do you notice when Dean gets uh, back at the end of the episode, it's like, it seems like everybody comes back to life. Like that, that stilted weirdness goes yeah. away. They, they, everybody <laughs> seems a lot more at home with one another. Hey, we can party maybe again. it's because... It's like, holy crap, the, the, the boss is back after four years. Everybody looked busy. <laughs> yeah, well, you know? that was so... There's no gravity to him being back after so long. Like, there could be so much more to that. Everyone's just so, like, business as usual about it. And the only really, really great scene I thought in the future was the one with Donna and Al at the end. Except for that very ending part. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> But when they're talking to each other... I love that. Like, and, and it reminded me very much of the book Obsessions, the Quantum Leap novel Obsessions, which talks a lot about the people left behind. And I bought Donna and Al's friendship more than I bought Donna and Sam's relationship. I felt like it was much more human. Um, and it, it just... I don't know. I also saw a bit of a parallel there, too. Um, this is me, I think, reading into it a little too much. But when Donna tells Al that Sam's going to come back to her, he came back once, he's going to come back again, she knows he's going to come back. Do you think Al would be thinking about the fact that Beth didn't wait for him? It's another parallel, and I feel like, you know, yeah, it goes again with the, the story. Man, that's going to bum me out next time I see that scene. <laughs> but he says, you're an amazing woman. So maybe yeah. he sees a strength in her that he's sorry that Beth didn't have. Yeah. yeah. I don't think like he's angry at Beth for that or anything like that. But I think maybe he would see some of that there. And maybe that's why he admires her so much. But it also makes you sad knowing that she's going to be waiting for Sam this whole time. 
Yeah. 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 <laughs> I have to bring this up because we're talking about this scene. Which one? The the uh, the scene at the very end. Yeah. I love you too, Donna. I love you too, Star Donna. Crossed. The star, star talks star back to her! <laughs> the star talks back to her! <laughs> what is that? It's romantic. No, it's exactly. not. It's, it's weird. You're putting a romantic bow on the episode. I thought Starcrossed was more romantic than that. Starcrossed was like, you know, if only you were born a little sooner or I was born a little later or whatever. Like, we're just, you know, just t- worlds and times apart. And this is like, I love you, Donna. I'm a star. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're being a little too literal, Allison. All right. Come on. Allison, you've been hurt. <laughs> Why do you got to hate so much? But I, I really think that Starcrossed takes on its original connotation here because the original Starcrossed lovers are Romeo and Juliet. And that doesn't end well. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much, oh, you know, if I were a little older or if you were a little younger or, or bullshit like that. It's like, no, our families are mortal enemies, yet we're in love. And that's that's what they meant. Like Shakespeare's turn was Starcrossed lover. But, you know, one of them drinks poison and the other one... I don't know, dies of a broken heart. I forget how it ends. Yeah, they both end up drinking poison. Oh, they do? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that Sam and Donna's relationship doesn't end well in retrospect only adds to that mythos that they've built between them. But it doesn't have... Uh, Talking talking stars notwithstanding. (laughs) I I get what you're saying. (laughs) But this episode doesn't end so tragically, though. He does go back into the past. There is that. But the scene with Donna is more a scene of hope. That has no conclusion. No, oh, it does have a conclusion. They dash that hope against a tree <laughs> at the end of the series, never to be heard of again. <laughs> so, spoiler that's, alert. that's the conclusion. Yeah, spoiler alert. I, but, I do um, kind of laugh at um, this. Goes into the script again. The stuff with uh, with Al after he gets hit over the head is so much more dramatic in the script. It's like he's brought in on like a floating stretcher or something. It's like pretty dire. And then when you see it in the episode, he's just like, "Eh, tell you if I'm okay later in bed. And then he's just (laughs) hanging out with Donna like nothing happened, like shrugs that concussion off. (laughs) I always that is like the stupidest thing. It's one of the TV tropes. I mean, seriously, if someone took, uh, it looked like a tire iron to the back of your skull, you would at least be brain damaged if not blinded yeah, he's doing pretty by good. a blow like that yeah. <laughs> but everybody on tv wakes up 10 minutes later like and oh, they gotta walk it off you know started. he was gonna die but he's fine <laughs> <laughs> that's the definition of bash your head right in i mean seriously it's it's, it's it's the magic of leaping for for all of that you know clifford's a big guy i mean he really whacks the crap out of him with that thing so you'd think that that would have killed him right there the, the whole thing is such a a farce such a comedy and then it ends with sam punching him off a cliff within one second of leaping in plomp <laughs> dead <laughs> his body crumpled up at the bottom of the gorge amazing <laughs> i was uh, wondering that today is is he dead or oh, is he's he just totally down dead there? Oh, he- <laughs> he's, okay. he's crumpled up like a pretzel he is dead they should have just thrown the car on top of him just to be sure. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's as dead as dead gets, I guess. But that was a wonderful little beat there when Sam realizes, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck again. It almost seemed like he was forgetting everything again, didn't it? 
there he's forgetting it and he's picking up the hand link in this desperation and i thought that was one of the best parts if not the best character turn in the episode because he breaks your heart gushy gushy come on this is that was sad yeah after all of that it's just like oh he here i am again and he's not even going to know what he's missing yeah. And I, I really love that. And the fact that, again, I can forgive the impossible physics of Al somehow leaping with a hand link. <laughs> Even though he changes uniforms and into somebody else's aura, somehow the hand link and the cigar stay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Because you have that scene at the end when, he, when Sam is futilely punching it. And it, everything is slipping away. And it's just, like I said, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It's, oh. That was a great part. I, I really did enjoy um, that part of it. And... The hand link being in the past brings up all sorts of thoughts, all sorts, yeah, all of, sorts uh, of future fiction. ramifications. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this goes into stuff that in season five that I'm, I'm sure yes. you know what I'm alluding to. But um, uh-huh. yeah, but I'll, I'll mention it more when we get there. But um, I think it just it it makes your the wheels in my brain turn. You know, like it, it makes you think about what could this mean? Yeah. What what happens? What happened to that hand link? Yeah. Yeah, floating on the wheels of time now, or the, the seas of time. It's 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 funny to think that that handling has a destiny of its own. Yeah, and they never spell anything out in the series, but a lot of fans have taken mm-hmm. that ball and run with it. So, um, you know, I'm I'm happy about that because it is it is a loose end, and you know, anything we love as fans, it's loose ends because mm-hmm. we can always ruminate over them. I mean, I don't know how any of this makes sense. Uh, he's got the handling and the cigar. Sam's still in the hospital outfit. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> he's got burn marks on his temple still. Yeah, <laughs> from being in the shock treatment uh, at the asylum. But if you if you go with the supposition that that his body leaps, they have said that it's Sam's body before, right? So then he would be he would be carrying the trauma with him. Yeah, I well, guess? it makes me. It's another one of those like you gotta f- just figure it out in your head which how you think it works. But they have so yeah. many leaps where, uh, particularly at the ending of uh, Black and White on Fire, uh, after the riot, he's completely messed up. And when he leaps into the Great Spontini, he's perfectly fine. Yeah. And yeah. it makes you like, it's like, okay, so is there some like leaping healing magic or what is going on here? But it didn't happen this time. And I kind of wonder if maybe it has to do with the time difference like they talk about in the pilot, leaping is instant for Sam, but it's not actually instant. Right, right. Sometimes a week can pass. Yeah. yeah. What if like wherever he goes between leaps, it's just time passing. So maybe some time passed where he heals. It's not really any sort of mm-hmm. like time magic that heals him. But this time around, yeah. it was instant because they switched places. There was a novel that uh, supposed that as well. Yeah. I'm just saying. Um, so, Allison, I think that you're on a really good kick there. Um, but I, I would have to say, yeah, it's, it's because this one must be instantaneous because of the urgency of a lightning strike. Mm-hmm. So if he does have some kind of healing period between leaps, um, he didn't get it this time. Yeah. Is uh, Tom Jarrett wearing like Al's suit at the in the waiting room? <laughs> like what happened to his suit? Uh, yeah, I don't know how Al comes out of his stupor when they switch places again al comes out in i think the outfit that he was in in shock uh, the, yeah. the shock theater yeah 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 i don't know so how. i guess tom is in there wearing it somehow <laughs> yeah. you know his reflection know. the tom reflection 
looked awful good for someone who had just come back from being a POW. <laughs> he was in pretty great shape. Well, you know, it's it's 1945. I mean, and if they could do any more idyllic middle America <laughs> in this episode, <laughs> it was just over the top. It, it shows sort of that, that ideal that we always attribute to the 50s, kind of like we what we were talking about, nuclear family and blast from the past, that bright, wonderful past. Yeah. Where, where you know, everybody's hale and hearty and all the women have great kazooms and, you know, life is great as long as you're straight and white and own land. <laughs> hey, the world is your oyster. <laughs> it did definitely fall into, like, cartoonish caricatures at times. Yeah. It was yeah. very much just on the comedy side. Uh, so it was sort of an ideal version of it, even though maybe that's part of the reason why the parallels didn't quite land for me with, with him and his own time as a POW. Uh, Al, because, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going to compare this to when they go into when he was in Vietnam, and then here, where it's just like, this happy milkman, all this stuff. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, there was another part of the script this reminds me of, where that, that lady is walking by him in the shorts. Yeah. <laughs> the script describes her as having 40s pointed tits. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't fair. Sam, a beautiful body like that, and I'm just thinking pure thoughts. Damn it. Those were uh, special bras that did that, I've been led to believe. So, I thought it was something genetic, but just, just phased out over a couple of generations. I'm disappointed. Did you guys notice that um, both Sam and Al, their first leaps are into someone in the military <laughs> named Tom? Yeah. Yeah. I think because Don is a one-trick pony when it comes to occupations and names. <laughs> yeah. He loves the name Tom. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's funny that that's, a, that's kind of a little parallel that they do there. And yeah, if only Al had something to do besides get laid at Lover's Leap, it might have been more of <laughs> to your liking, right, Allison? He didn't have to fly the X2 to Mach 3. Was that it? X2 to Mach 3? I think I got Something that. like that. Thing is, in the in the pilot... Sam had leapt into someone who, you know, we got our first example of Al knows everything. He leapt into someone where Al was really mm -hmm. useful. Would have been quite handy if this time Al had leapt into a physicist of some kind and, and Sam could have offered some support there. Yeah, they don't play with the leap that way. Uh, and Sam doesn't no. have any information to give him because he has no access no. to the, the project. Right. Yes. So half the time he's just repeating things that he hears other people say. It would have been great to have had Sam do the uh, the whole, oh, yeah, when, when I was a kid and just after I'd run away from home and uh, joined the circus, uh, I, I, I did this and, and it uh, fitted in with the plot. He helps Al more through just things that he picks up from him, residual traits, than yes. things he actually tells him. And, and why is Sam reacting like this is new news to him when he tells Al that they commit suicide in the original history? When that's the whole reason he's rushing back to help him. In the original history, it seems that Tom and Suzanne drive off of this cliff tonight in an apparent double sue. Double sue. Oh, aside. Suicide. A double suicide. No, no, no. Couldn't be suicide. It's because they wanted to have the gag where he has to hit the handling to get it to complete the sentence. I mean, it's plain and simple. It's just as simple <laughs> as that. Yeah. So, I mean, it does make no sense. In, in the context of the show. And I understand why they did it. I don't agree with that they did it, but 
I think that, you know, it's Scott. Now, when are we going to get Scott to do this gag? This is Dean's gag. Mm -hmm. Let's do the whole magnifusal thing to the utmost. Like he calls someone knuckle nose. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, again, these are little, little character beats that I think that they said, let's just have fun. I know it doesn't make sense, but Mm. in in the moment, and this is all going at such breakneck speed that you're not going to notice the potholes. And I've been dying to segue into this. I think I'm just going to wrestle the show away now and say, what is the deal with Sam targeting the leap and (laughs) replacing Tom or slash Al or whatever, yet the retrieval program doesn't work? Because subconsciously he was thinking of it and Uh But the second I saw this episode, you know, like four or five times, it it dawned on me because I'm kind of slow-witted. Why don't they just take the leap B and leap them into themselves so Sam leaps home? Yes. Because show. Because yeah. then you couldn't, you know. Well, they do that And I even tried to later. address that in my book a, a little bit. And they yeah. do do it later. They do yeah. leap someone into themselves later uh, at the end of this season. Yeah. But they do it before Sam yeah. leaps in, so it doesn't really change anything. And yeah, they could no, absolutely exactly. solve it by doing that. It doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. So, I mean, does that bother anybody but me? Or They just sort of rush through Sam explaining that. It seems to come out of nowhere and like n- not be a very believable explanation for why he can suddenly do this. Chris, you mentioned much earlier on in the show about a big plot hole. And I said, we're probably thinking about the same thing. Was that what you were referring to? That was it, yeah. Okay, so so not how the hell is Sam in the imaging chamber. Why does he end up there? Because he switched places with Al. Yeah, but who's in the waiting room then? Tom. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling so, you, there's the, the physics of it make no sense, Matt. I mean, the yeah. fact that they can switch places is on the face of it ridiculous. On a show where science is akin to magic, even this one is, it, it just, it, it strains credulity. Yeah. It just would have made more sense, although the whole first half of the episode would have been ruined, if he'd have shown up in the waiting room. Why would he show up in the waiting room? Because that's where the leapies always are. Yeah, but he's not a leapy. He switches places with Al and he's the observer. Yeah. <laughs> See, everybody's got this. Well, he's the observer. That's not why we, Al was there. And if they switch places, they would take the place where they were. And he was in the imaging chamber. I always saw it that way, too. It still doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> I'm not the saying way. it makes sense, Matt. <laughs> we need to have a controlled experiment here. Get some lightning and a time machine. We'll figure out how this really works. <laughs> I didn't know until this episode, leaping makes you woozy? In what sense? Al says, I must still be woozy from the leap, I mean the flight. I think that you're reading a little bit too much into idiom. How am I reading into it? He said it made him woozy. <laughs> well, I think by woozy, he meant discombobulated. Oh, maybe. That's the way I always yeah. took it. Yeah. You could be correct. Hey, maybe it does make you woozy. Who knows? Maybe it just makes Al woozy. Yeah, and maybe Sam forgot to talk about it because he switched cheese. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> Does that fix your headcanon? Sure. <laughs> happy to help. Happy to help. I didn't have any particular headcanon about this. I just, it just never seemed like it was a thing before. This was the, uh, the farthest leap back and the furthest leap forward, wasn't it? Yeah. Not quite the farthest leap back, no. Well, yeah. Oh, you're right. You're we absolutely have, we have right. I forgot. Yeah. It was the farthest leap back to date, and they did explain it because it's in Al's lifetime. Yeah. I mean, they made that a major plot point because drama. That'd be interesting if they had kept doing that. Like Sam still had a little bit of Al in him. 
Yeah, it would have been funny to see if they could sustain that. But I think then you would have to have Sam remember what happened. He does sometimes, and then he doesn't other times. And then Al remembers, and sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> so they're all Swiss cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever the show requires that week. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly it. You know, it's like we're we're looking into this, but I, I really think that they just saw this as a chance to just go gonzo, have some real fun with the premise, give the fans a treat, and maybe make something that they knew people would love. And, okay, uh, here we are 25, 30 years later saying, yeah, but what about this? Yeah, but what about hmm. that? Even if it came up in the writer's room, they'd be like, oh, who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just do it. And it's fun to talk about it. But at the same time, I'm glad they did everything the way they did. And I guess maybe that, that brings me to some final thoughts. I mean, do you guys have any more big, big things to talk about with this one? Well, unless you're going to let me bitch about the timeline. No, the, the chronology. I want you to bitch about the time. Commence with bitching. This is like my pet topic <laughs> because it was it's so easy to avoid a mistake, and they just—it's just like throw a bunch of numbers on the page and hope that it all works out. So the episode's supposed to be set in 1945, specifically June 1945. Al says the present day is September 18th, 1999. And then Gushy says it's, what, 54 years, 7 months, and 6 days. Now, 54 years, 7 months puts it into the year 2000, so they're not even vaguely close. (laughs) It's just, I I could forgive them a week, but this is an entire year out. There's a line in shock theatre that had established that it was 1999, so unless Sam's been stuck in the imaging chamber for the best part of a year, that's all messed up as well. And we know there's episodes of season 5, that refer to the present day as being 1999. So this can't be 2000. It's just, it's it's all a bit of a problem. <laughs> I think they, ju- they just fudge the line there, but they do say it's 99. So that would make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's clearly 99. You've mainly just got to ignore Gushy. <laughs> but it's the fact that Gushy gets such a specific line down to the number of oh, days. Oh, Gushy's an idiot. Which, again, <laughs> is, is a lift from the end of Back to the Future 2. Um but yeah, without without even counting it properly, and then of course there's the um, the calendar in the diner that says it's July anyway. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whatever for somebody trying to put together the ultimate chronology of, of uh, Quantum Leap, this episode really ticked me off. <laughs> well, maybe she she turned the calendar ahead. Maybe they needed the June page to wrap some fish. How's that? No. Yep, all right, I could work with that. <laughs> Maybe he's slipping her that pound of butter, you know, but she's got to have something to hold it in. I'm not sure. We also find out Al's birthday, too, by by the date. Is June 15th? Yes. I don't know. I just thought that was worth noting. And that's another weird parallel to, um, to Mirror Image, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm not even convinced that calendar's from that that year anyway, because it shows the first being on a Monday. Um, whereas the first was on a Sunday, July 1945. Ugh, those idiots. Just not paying attention. (laughs) Next thing you know, a 1960s radio is going to be somewhere on a shelf in the back. (laughs) Those jerks. Can I just uh, bring up Suzanne real quick? Do we have to? (laughs) We didn't talk about her at all. I feel this is... I know. This needs to be mentioned. First of all... Tina from Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> so Al gets with Tina again. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's not terribly faithful, huh? She is La Donna Immobile. 
That's what she is. What? What is that? That's uh, Rigoletto. Women are fickle. Okay. That's what that means. <laughs> La donna immobile. Da, 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 da. La donna ruined the episode. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> so, many, so many different donnas here making making a mess of things. But uh, yeah, talk to me about Suzanne because- I love that, I love that Sam's wife is, <laughs> is the, the female version of Donald- <laughs> Donald <laughs> Belisario gets to marry Sam. <laughs> oh man, I didn't want to bash on on Suzanne because, again, like Clifford, the character is just a means to an end. Um, and I didn't want to bash on Amanda Weiss or Wiss or however you say her name because I don't you have know, a problem she, with her performance. I, I just I, I don't know that I liked the character of Suzanne, and I think it stems from the fact that I just didn't like her delivery. And maybe it's just me. <laughs> what about the, like, it's all I could do to keep you from, you know, wipes her mouth. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was a little sexy. Right, I'll give her that. But <laughs> um, Well, it's, it's the fact that the story is about her getting together with Tom instead of Clifford, but she really could care less, couldn't care less about Clifford. Um, she's like smiling over his unconscious body because Tom knocked him out. Um, she says that whenever she kissed him, she'd pretend that it was Tom. So, I mean, how hard was it to get her with Tom anyway? How are you going to give me sympathy for Suzanne now? She's a girl in a small town. What are her options? I mean, she's got a guy that will take care of her. This is 1956 or 45 or whatever. It's way back in the Stone Ages. So, you know, maybe she didn't think that she had a choice. She said she waited three years, but when nothing else presented itself, what what are women drilled in, uh, in, in that era? Home, husband, family. So Clifford was a means to that end. I don't know that she was especially ambitious. You know, they don't really, she's a non-character. She's just a cipher. She's just there to move the plot from point A to point B. So we don't really get any kind of insight into why she would be with Clifford other than maybe what I'm bringing up, the stereotypical reasons. And the fact that she goes back to Tom is like, I mean, Clifford is such an obvious douchebag, <laughs> you know, and she thought Tom was dead. Now he's not. So... And what I don't understand is why she just doesn't tell Clifford back the hell off. And maybe she did. Maybe that's why he came in and killed them both in a jealous rage. Yeah, that could be. Maybe she said, it's over. I'm sorry. He's he's alive. Had we known he was alive, we never would have come to this place, would we? So I got to say goodbye. I wish that they'd maybe had some lip service to that. Just like how different this time period was. Like maybe that's why she was so willing to to settle for this guy. Like, maybe mm. Sam and Al could have had a conversation about this. You know, Al's talking about, she. oh, she got together with this guy while his boyfriend was out there and all that. And then Sam's like, well, you got to remember what this time period was like. And, you know, something, maybe. Just a bit more time. No, no, no. They really needed to get to the banter about getting laid. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> they had to focus on what was important. <laughs> I liked the I owe you one. Oh, just one. I liked that bit. 
I mean, they, they had to be dude bros, okay? We don't need to talk about her problems. It's like, shh, the men are talking. <laughs> I, 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 can I just say, uh, also, appreciation for uh, Dean Stockwell's miming getting ready to take a whiz, and then the double take at <laughs> Sam taking off after her. Yeah, that was all risk. Good stuff. Oh, boy. So, all right. Well, wow, you made me think of Suzanne in a new light, so... Hey, good on you. Well, you were the one who presented the best argument, I think, <laughs> for her. <laughs> well, I, I never had to think about it before because, again, it's it's sort of like the Donna stuff. It was all the stuff that was in the wings because the story required it, but not what I was focused on because I'm a hopeless fanboy nerd. If you weren't focusing on the Donna stuff and you weren't focusing on the Suzanne stuff and you weren't focusing on, like, either story, like, what were you focusing on? The Lego. <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> I like the handling porn. Like, there's only two stories here. A lot of, a lot of handling porn. Um, I like the Fermi suits. Um, no, it, it's mm. not. Like Sam what, just what starts is, undressing in the middle of the control room. Right, right, right in the middle of the control off. Get me a Fermi suit. <laughs> Tina, hurry up. You know where they are. I know you know where they are. Al's, Al's neurons and Mason's tell me you know where they are. But um, there's, Al is in no. me. <laughs> Cut to Tina and Gushy. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> but if I if I could answer your question, Allison, I mean, a lot of the main plot of this seemed perfunctory because you needed drama. What I always focused on was the stuff in the control room, the stuff between Sam and Alec, the character moments, the friendship moments, mm -hmm. and sort of the larger questions of leaping, like I was talking about. Well, if they could leap him into the leap B, then why don't they just leap the leap B back into themselves and bring mm -hmm. Sam home? Um, how does it work that Al leaps with a hand link and a cigar? And what are the lot, you know, what, what, what's the logic behind that? What's the science behind that? But, and then, at the same time with the mail drop and, and just finding creative ways using time travel to solve the problem. Like that, that to me is the stuff that always jazzed me about this episode because that's mm -hmm. the stuff that I like. The, the other stuff, it's just episode filler in the sense that you need the romance, you need the drama, you need the danger. But, you know, it, 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 you know that it's going to end with Sam back where he is and Al back where he is. So... Let me just focus on them as characters here. That's really why I love this episode. It's not really to do with the leap. I think the leap is perfunctory at best. Yeah, I I, I still think this is um, this is a really fun episode. It's it services the fans. It, it sets out. It, it does exactly what it sets out to do. But yeah, at the same time, I've I've got to agree with a lot of Allison's critiques. It's. Um, it, it it doesn't get into either of the plot lines enough. Um, some of the script isn't great. It could have been a lot more. Um, it's a fun episode. I think the other issue I have with this is this this was like the the second highest rated episode um, to date, and you kind of get the impression that the production team looked at this and said, "Ah, this is what works. This is what's successful," and this is kind of to blame for the or potentially to blame for the different route the fifth season takes hmm. um so i think the the <laughs> some of the good stuff in the leap back is is also possibly it's representative of some of the not so good stuff that we'll be talking about um in uh in a few months or so Wow, laying the sins of season five at the doorstep of the least mm. act. I've never heard that done before. <laughs> right, so. Right, interesting. How about, how about you, Alice? Uh, as much as I bitched in this, um, 
I I love this episode's potential. There's a lot of things in here that I enjoy. I just wish that that they had done more of it or or had gone a little deeper. Um I love the first half of it. I, I love the stuff in the 40s. I love pieces of stuff that's in the 90s. Uh, but it all just, it falls short of what it really could be. So I'm very mixed on this episode. Um, it still is one of my favorites, even though I, I complained a lot about it. But mm. there are parts of it that are really good. I do enjoy seeing Al leaping. Um, I, I like uh, his relationship stuff with Sam. Um, I like being able to see the project and the aesthetic there. So uh, overall, uh, even though it doesn't really sound like it, I, I am more positive on this episode than negative. <laughs> okay. And I'll pick up on that. I, I love all of that stuff as well. The Al and the Sam stuff especially. To me, this stands out as an all-timer just based on the fact that it expands the mythology of Quantum Leap in the most significant way the series has since the, I guess, since the premiere. And I loved everything about what they showed me in 1999. So it will always stand out for me as that high watermark that it was when I first saw it, when it aired on NBC way back in the Stone Ages. So um, I have a hard time really latching on to any of the problems, all the valid criticisms that you bring to this, because I, I'm just dyed-in-the-wool fanboy when it comes to this episode, and un unapologetically so. I mean, I just want to have fun with the characters I love and see cool, neat, new stuff. And this episode delivers in spades on all of that. So does it have shortcomings? Yes. Do I care about them? Not at all. I will go to, to the end of days saying that this is a top five, if not maybe the best Fan Leap episode. Uh, there's only <laughs> one that comes close to it for me and we haven't gotten to that one yet so um we'll talk about that but that's that's my flawed my flawed takeaway on this one i'm still just a fanboy at heart all right um you guys want to take a break <laughs> yeah that sounds good to me all right uh listen to these words and we'll be right back the qlp is brought to you by listeners like you Please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the quantum leap podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I'm Gabe. I'm Carlo. And we are the co-hosts of a month of Mondays podcast. We are the monthly wrestling podcast. Carlo, how do you feel about our podcast? I feel like what this is, Gabe. Is a wrestling magazine for our fans out there to take a listen at a kind of lighter hard side of pro wrestling with some funny stories some insights and just to have some fun with you man and you know what that's what i like i like podcasts where they can just get a little free range we all have listened to a podcast it's week to week that tells you the exact up-to-date news of wrestling but this gives us a chance to talk about a little bit of the deeper dives of pro wrestling you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash mom wrestling pod on twitter at mondays podcast or at baronsface.com slash mom wrestling pod you can find this podcast anywhere fine podcasts are given away for free because you don't sell podcasts if you will Hello, this is Shada Lynn, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. 
Hey, we're back. And thanks for listening to those messages. Guys, you're never going to believe it, but not only do we have feedback to go through, but we have to thank some new Patreon patrons. Plural. So let's give it up. Patron patrons. Patrons with an S, which is just a, that's a wonderful development around here. Uh, first off, we want to thank Adrian Sal, who pledged at the $5 Leaper level. Adrian, that uh, entitles you to get a mention on the podcast. So here it is. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We hope that you like what you're hearing. And I, I guess he does, guys, because uh, five bucks a month, yep. that ain't nothing, right? Thanks, thank dude. You. That's great. And not only did Adrian support us at the $5 Leaper level, but another Patreon patron came on board. Her name is Melanie Alberts. So thank you, Melanie. This was kind of a surprise to me because we usually get email alerts when we get a new patron, but we never got an alert that Melanie had started supporting us. So Melanie, if it's been a little while, it's because I was just going through the list and I noticed your name and I said, wait, 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 another new one, <laughs> two new ones? Uh, yeah, it was. It, it, it's kind of shocking to see and uh, delightful to see. So thank you both, Melanie and Adrian. Uh, we're glad that you're enjoying the show so much that you've decided to support it with your hard-earned money. And uh, we will try not to let you down. Thank you, guys. Oh, thanks, guys. Like, it's great that anyone wants to listen at all, but <laughs> the fact that you want to yeah. support us monetarily, that's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And just remember, all of that goes towards... Uh, server costs and just keeping the show running. So thank you everyone who supports us. And if you want to be like Adrian and you want to be like Melanie, you too can support us on Patreon. You just need to go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. And there you can just pledge any amount that your heart desires. So good work, guys. Thanks so much for your support. And we now have some feedback to get to. Um, do you recall, guys, a few episodes back, I think Nuclear Family or even the episode before, we gave away some DVDs to Father Beast? Yes. Yeah, I remember Father Beast. Good old Father Great Beast. Great name. Father Beast, yeah, the name. And a perennial QLP responder. He's been around since the start. Yeah, yeah. He's been listening longer yeah. than I have, that's for sure. <laughs> he just, he wanted to respond. Uh, he got the box set, and apparently I made a mistake, so... Father Beast uh, sent us a letter. Allison, do you want to take the first few paragraphs? Sure. Dear Quantum Leap Podcast, this is Father Beast, the winner of the Quantum Leap DVD box set. I had to write in and correct you about when you said in the Nuclear Family episode that I had won the Blu-ray set. Sorry, but it's a DVD set. And that was my mistake. My mistake. Sorry, guys. Mia culpa. I didn't care. I had previously been watching the show on Netflix or Hulu, but neither had all the episodes, and I would have to get the DVDs from the library to watch the missing ones. I had noticed that the shows on Netflix had the original music, but the DVDs did not. I recall especially noticing this in Disco Inferno, as I have written previously. Now I'm not sure if it's even still on Netflix. Uh, I don't believe it is. I, no, the, the show isn't on Netflix right now. It isn't, right? Yeah, I've been watching on NBC.com yeah. because Netflix, yeah, mm -hmm. seems to have dropped it. I don't know. How, how does that work? Anyway, let me, let me finish what Father B says. I got this set, and it's in this flimsy cardboard box, and the discs are in cardboard sleeves. Also, the discs have no extras, just the episode. That's okay. I heard you guys on the podcast think I had the Blu-rays and would have the original music, and I remembered that the DVDs have fill-in elevator music in place of the original songs. Now get this, I go and put in MIA and fast forward to the end so I can confirm that other music instead of Georgia on my mind. 
Imagine my astonishment when I heard Georgia on my mind playing at the end of that episode. To try again, I put in the forbidden episode, Disco Inferno. Sure enough, he leaps in as that's the way I like it is playing. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I had to sit down and watch that episode in all of its 70s glory. I also heard Kung Fu Fighting and The Hustle. I have to conclude that Mill Creek Entertainment has somehow managed to wrangle a deal to put out the DVDs with the original music. Face it, Tiger, I just hit the jackpot. And that's the end of Father Beast Missive. And I have to be honest with you guys, I don't buy physical media. I have no idea what's on the box set <laughs> or the DVDs, Mill Creek versus Universal versus whatever. So is is this news? Is this a discovery that he made that the DVDs as well? Matt's, as Matt's got Blu-rays you covered have, on this one, I think. Matt's got me covered? Yeah. It, well, I, <laughs> I, I have bought... Every DVD release around the world. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a new discovery for Father Beast. It's probably a new discovery for a lot of our listeners. But yeah, when um, when Universal were releasing Quantum Leap anywhere the first time round, they were putting the elevator music in, as as Father Beast says. The only exceptions to that were in the UK uh, for seasons one, two, three, and five, and in France on the English soundtracks but not on the French soundtracks. Um, so yeah, th- those were the only ways to hear the original soundtracks with the original music um, was to get the UK ones. Uh, Mill Creek, yeah, as Father B says, um, Mill Creek was able to get a whole new licensing deal. Uh, they released seasons one and two on DVD, and then they released the complete series on both DVD and Blu-ray, and all of them have the original music. So if any of our listeners don't have Quantum Leap on physical media, uh, those really are the versions to go for. If you have the option, personally, I'd highly recommend the UK box set. The only difference between the UK Blu-ray and the American Blu-ray is the UK Blu-ray has the original uncut Lee Harvey Oswald, huh. um, which is pretty awesome. Wait, wait, the Mill Creek Blu-ray for the UK? Yes. Wait, they have... It's different? Yeah, so the Mill Creek Blu-ray for the US, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald is cut into two parts, which means it's got a few minutes edited out. Yeah, that really annoyed me. Yeah, it's um, it's really random, but it, the UK version is complete. It was totally unpromoted. Ooh. The, the distributors over here sent me a, a copy of the press release um, and some promo discs, and it didn't mention anywhere, but it's, it's basically a world exclusive HD Lee Harvey Oswald full-length version. Uh, it's the only place you can get it. Oh, man, I got to get the UK Blu-ray. Uh, that's new to me, actually. Hey, if you're going to go get that UK Blu-ray, go to quantumleappodcast.com and click on one of our affiliate links so that uh, we get some more money for the podcast. I'm just saying, you know, I got a shill. <laughs> that's part of my job here as one of the hosts. Yeah. <laughs> so. Fair enough. So I hope that was some interesting information for some of you. Yeah, I think like a lot of people are very confused and like also the streaming versions are all very different too. They don't have it on Netflix anymore, though they used to have it with all the music except for uh, Disco Inferno, I think was the only one missing. Um, I could be wrong there. But um, the NBC website, at least for people in the US, I'm not sure about region blocking, um, it has the original music on there and the episodes, again, except for Disco Inferno. Hulu has it as well, but they still have the music replacements. Jeez. So uh, Disco Inferno, I think, has to be more than the 
the issues with the music because that's the one that's consistently missing. I yeah. feel like maybe it has to do with the footage they used from like uh, the movie Earthquake or maybe some other things that hmm. uh, were preventing them from replacing things because that's it's part of the story in that one. But it still is on the DVD and Blu-ray sets, right? It's only on streaming. Streaming platforms just don't have it. Yeah, none of the, the releases of the show in physical media have missed any episodes. They've just had uh, music things get switched around. It's so fascinating to me that this remains a perennial topic of conversation in fandom <laughs> with this music replacement. I mean, so much so that I've started watching reruns of WKRP in Cincinnati, and I've gotten really obsessed with finding original clips of them playing Pink Floyd songs, where now it's just like Muzak versions of things. And it, it's become like a little obsession of mine now because of Quantum Leap. So it, it, it's kind of neat to talk about. But again, I never buy DVDs or Blu-rays, mainly because I don't have a Blu-ray player. And anything that I have that I can stream is now in better quality than a DVD. So I wonder if hmm, I should maybe get the Blu-rays and see what I'm missing. Yeah, get yourself a player. It's worth it. The Blu-rays look really nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen a Blu-ray of anything ever. Maybe walking through like a Best Buy or something and if they're playing something or on the TV. you've never like held a Blu-ray? Uh, in the library <laughs> when I go rent my DVDs of like the Odd Couple Aww. and stuff. <laughs> or, they, are, yeah. they are better quality than uh, than the streaming versions. They are definitely an upgrade from there. The Muzak thing is so interesting to me too. Like um, I watch a lot of old stuff on Hulu and they tend to have... Uh, any of the streaming versions of old shows that used to use a lot of music will have replacements like that. Like right now I'm watching Beverly Hills 90210 and that one had a lot of montages with songs of the time. Hmm. But because shows until they started doing DVDs and, and releases like that, they didn't have uh, agreements with the rights holders to release the music on other forms of media uh, so that's where you run into issues getting things on streaming platforms or, or on DVD or any other things like that currently. I'm sure we might have talked about this before. It feels <laughs> well, like we have. It's, it's just <laughs> such a rabbit hole. And it's just so easy to get caught down it again and again and again. And especially when we get uh, revelations. Anyway, it's a revelation to me that even the standard def DVD set now has all the music intact so it's yet another reason to go out and buy quantum leap media and keep supporting the show i i can't imagine what mill creek must have spent to secure the rights to all those songs and the only way it'll be profitable for them is if you know people actually buy the sets certainly in in the uk at least there were some changes in the law uh, around about 2005 2006 um which was just at the tail end of the um of the original run of releases, but obviously well before Mill Creek. Um, I don't know if that that was a global thing or if that was just in the UK, um, but it became a lot cheaper to license music for for physical media. The UK's always had like more lenient laws regarding regarding that stuff, which is why a lot of uh, yeah. Like, I believe it's, you would know more than me, but but I believe, like, the BBC and things like that, like, they license, like, they, they pay a sum of money to license just a bunch of things. Yeah, and that's that's how it worked to an extent before the change of law, but there was still extra fees that had to be sought out and extra um, extra negotiations. So there was some, some I, I'm a big Doctor Who fan, as I've, I've probably mentioned, some of the early uh, Doctor Who VHSs, 
and some of the very early Doctor Who DVDs had music replacements on them. When they'd go to the 60s and there'd be Beatles tracks playing and things, they couldn't license them. <clears throat> After the change in law, they re-released the DVDs with the music tracks intact. Oh. And that was an ultimate fan wank, right, Matt? Yes. <laughs> Just to harken back to the Absolutely. top of the show. Anyway. I don't think yeah. fan wink means what you think it means. <laughs> I feel like fan wink does not apply in this situation. I think anything that makes a fan so happy, they wank. Uh, did I say that on my... Yeah. Do we have to go... <laughs> anyway. It's okay for Americans to hear wank. It doesn't mean the same thing. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> You just say wanker, it's fine. <laughs> I think we all know what it means. Anyway, I think I think I know what it means. Maybe you're right, Alison. Maybe I'm wrong. But I love hearing British swear words said by Americans. That's a bit of a tangent, but <laughs> bollocks. I, 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 <laughs> thank you. I watched Buffy just for Spike coming out with all that stuff. Didn't he call someone a poofter at some point? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why was that yeah. acceptable? <laughs> Bloody poofter. I know we've gone off on a lot. Um, we do we, have more have. feedback. Well, well, yeah, if, feedback. If people right. are still hanging in here. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did get a new message on Facebook from Facebook user James G. Connolly on the... Bloody James Connolly. Bollocks. <laughs> on the Bollocks Quantum Leap <laughs> podcast Facebook page. And <laughs> Why do we both sound Australian? <laughs> <laughs> Crikey! It's James Connolly! Crumbs, caw! Carrots! <laughs> You're just saying things now. <laughs> Those are all words. No, no, no. That's very specific reference. Very specific reference to a show we did about three or four shows back. Go back and listen. You'll hear it. Penfield Shash! So does anyone want to read this one from James? Because it's a little bit congratulatory of a certain someone who probably would sound very self-aggrandizing if he read it. Hence, that's me. Well, we just read that other one, so I think Matt should read it. And this is in response to our episode about Nuclear Family, which if you guys remember is my favorite app. So go ahead, Matt, take it away. So James said, thank you all for a very thoughtful and insightful episode. Uh, while I did enjoy the episode, I did feel a bit disconnected from it when hearing the other side. Chris provided a great perspective for the episode and how it relates to understanding the episode's message and meaning. This is one of the things I do very much enjoy with the Quantum Leap podcast. There are a few episodes I flat out did not remember, and some that maybe didn't unfold the way I remember. The podcast has all that and more, interviews and perspectives. It was very unfortunate that Kurt Fuller was unavailable to be interviewed. I always enjoy hearing from the guest stars. Thank you, Chris, and Matt, and Alison, and Albie, too. Thank you, James. Aww. That was great. Ah, Thank That's you. Lovely. For the record, I don't know if we even tried to contact Kurt Fuller. Maybe we did, and he turned us <laughs> no, down. No, we, didn't we talk about it? He was just too busy, right? Yeah, I, I, but I made the joke that he's busier than Scott Bakula, so um, I don't know. <laughs> really, we'd have to check again, but I, neither here nor there. It would have been nice to talk to him, but... Uh, well, if we didn't contact him, then we can pretty much guarantee he wasn't right, available, because, right. you know, he, he was probably doing something else while we were recording. Probably, yeah. He was probably making making bank. Because he never stops working. Yeah, He was recording his own Quantum Leap podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He's the competition. That's right. That's right. So Bert the Turtle, we're gunning for you. But thank you, James. Um, I do appreciate that I was able to give you a perspective on the episode that helped you understand it better. Um, I, like I said, this one was so ingrained in me that I had almost no perspective on how I was talking about it or, or how I might come across because I'm just so wrapped up in it. And I'm glad that um, you found it entertaining and informative. And uh, thank you. 
Thank you very much. It's interesting, Chris, you should talk about having a lot of experience and knowledge of a particular episode because that kind of leads on to our uh, latest podcast review. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh- <laughs> Doesn't it? I, I think I think so. Uh, yeah, I, I I guess. I mean, I, I'll take this one, guys. Um, we finally <laughs> got a new iTunes review. It's the first that we've gotten since Albie and Heather uh, left the show, and Matt, Allison, and I took over. And what do you know? We got a three star review from a listener named Werewolf twenty eight fourteen, and Werewolf twenty eight fourteen howls at the moon and writes, "Bring back Albie and Heather, or at least Heather." And he goes on to say, or she goes on to say, I started listening for the version perspectives on the show, but now the show is hosted by Uber fans who have probably seen every episode at least a dozen times. If it had started as such, that would be one thing, but that's not what I signed up for. Now, don't get me wrong. It's still a good show. I just missed the naivete of a first time viewer and... I'm I'm sorry, Werewolf. Uh, I don't know that I've seen every episode a dozen times, but... uh... Me and Matt have. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's getting close for us. I've I've never been an Uber of anything, though. Uh, He said it was still good. Yeah, right? Maybe we need to hear the perspective of the first 2,813 werewolves (laughs) to really get a good pool. (laughs) What does Werewolf 1 think? Of QLP. I can get that, though. You know, it's not the first time I've heard that people really valued the fact that Heather was a first-time mm. viewer, and it's sort of what made the show unique in in fan podcasts, for Quantum Leap, anyway. Sure. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, I mean, the show's just moved on from that paradigm. I, we're here where we are now, and we have the blessing of Albie. He comes back occasionally, and... I got to tell you, the one thing I miss most on the show is hearing Albie, hearing him on the Christmas episode that was just released with Allison doing the wraparound. I thought that was great, having him on Heart of a Champion with me and Allison. Mm -hmm. It's funny, whenever Albie comes back, Matt isn't there. Are they the same person? (laughs) (laughs) You'll never see us in the same room. When you do, there's a big blue line between us. So I'm just, yeah, I, I, how do we respond to that, guys? I guess you're right. They, it's not what they signed up for. Sorry. It, 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 it's never going to be that again. Well, I mean, I, I get what they're saying. Like, that's what I liked when I was listening to the podcast before I was part of it. Like, there's something really interesting about hearing a fresh perspective from someone in the modern day who didn't grow up with it, mm. doesn't have nostalgia, just watching the show and, and what they feel about it. Mm. So, I mean, it's just different flavors. It's whatever, you know... I, they even said, you know, that it's still a good show to them. It's just uh, originally they were listening to something else, which I can agree it is different than what it was. And I think that the reality is, try as we might, how many people out there have not seen Quantum Leap but would be happy to spend a few hours every couple of weeks uh, Skyping with myself, Chris uh, and Alison about the show. It's you've got to be pretty committed to Quantum Leap to be involved in it, um, in this kind of thing. I have to admit to you guys. What else? I've never seen Quantum Leap. <laughs> <laughs> I've been lying to you <laughs> this entire time. Ah, oh, we could have kept up the dynamic, and werewolves would not be at our door. But <sighs> oh, Allison, 
See? Well. I do agree about Albie, though. Like, Albie's great. And it was great mm. being able to to do the um, Heart of a Champion one with him. Like, I felt it added something that it might not otherwise have because it's not my favorite episode. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> so, obviously, yeah. I thought he had some great stuff. And I liked learning about how he used to do wrestling as, like, yeah. the, uh, <laughs> what was it? The, the weatherman? Thunder yeah, lightning the with the weatherman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was the weatherman. <laughs> He's the weatherman. Yeah. <laughs> it was. If you guys haven't uh, heard that episode, go back and listen to it. It was Alvy's triumphant return since we started hosting, and uh, he was terrific. He was amazing on it. So, and just so many weird, funny stories that he was telling. So, mm-hmm. and that's when I get nostalgic for the old show, the old Alvy Heather dynamic. It's just whenever I hear Alvy on mic, I just enjoy listening to him. I get where you're coming from, Werewolf. I think we all do. I miss the old show sometimes, too, but I enjoy doing the new one with you guys, so I think they're they're both equally valid, just just different, and that's not there's nothing wrong with that. How many stars do Apple Podcast reviews go up to? A hundred. Four? <laughs> they go up to five. Four, five? They go up to five, five? so... Uh, well, three ain't bad. That's better than average. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right? Solid <laughs> middle of the line. That's a glass half full situation. I'll take it. I will take it. <laughs> And if you want to be like Werewolf2814 and tell us how much we kind of suck, or like James G. Connolly telling me how great I am at my perspectives, or like Father Beast giving us <laughs> I, yet I feel more you're playing fodder. favorites here. I feel, <laughs> me? I feel James was your favorite for some reason. <laughs> James, James. Hey, Alison, he thanked us as well. We we were mentioned oh, okay. at the end. You were. Yeah, you and were. I'll be too. We were there and... propping up Chris. Yes. <laughs> Professor and Marianne and everyone. <laughs> and the rest, yes. And yeah. be proud being the rest. <laughs> and if you want to be like the rest of your fellow listeners and contact us, there are many ways you can get in touch. You can get us on the phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. And as we mentioned before, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. Just remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode. Well, thank you so much for the feedback. That's all great stuff. But now we got to be moving forward back to the future. <laughs> so, Matt, what's next? It's play ball. Dun, 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 I figured that it was about time. Well, that you and I. Wait, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? Relax, relax. Nobody even knows I'm here. I drove my car up. There's no way we can get caught. Hey, Doc. Oh, Billy. Oh, boy. Oh, I don't remember this episode at all. What? Lucky you. This I mentioned that I didn't really care so much about play ball, and then you're like, mm, "What?" And now you're like, "Oh, I don't remember it." What? <laughs> Was I really like, mm, "What are you remembering that right?" Maybe you don't remember it. Maybe Matt did. I I, I quite like it. So yeah, I might have been surprised. <laughs> I look I forward to it. rediscovering it all over again. I have no idea what it's about, so it's going to be like a whole new episode of Quantum Leap for me. It's about playing ball. Spoilers, much? Jeez, Matt. <laughs> There might be some sport thing involved. (laughs) Ugh, sports. 
Well, I look forward to uh, maybe shitting on playing ball, maybe not shitting on playing ball. It's anybody's guess. <laughs> Will dumps be had? Stay tuned, viewers. <laughs> I'm five years old. <laughs> oh, man. We do get a pig whizzing. <laughs> oh, I am more intrigued for this episode than I have any right to be now. Hell yeah, the hype is real. <laughs> Well, I've been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Allison Pregler. And I've been Matt Taylor. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris. With voice talent and contributions from Zoe Dean and Hayden McQueenie. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. The quantum leap podcast is edited by Albie, Allison, and Christopher DeFilippis. The production assistant is Jesse Newman. The executive producer of the quantum leap podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Miro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production.